BC braces for impact. We are guaranteeing essentially a big snow event. Converging weather systems create a critical test of winter weather readiness after major problems last time. Securing shelter for the homeless before the snow flies. Community center has been very full um, during the day. The scramble to find a bed with time running out and many shelters already at capacity. And Charlie Lee, a soldier's story. I spend uh, days in the, the jungles. One of BC's few surviving World War II veterans shares his secrets. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. The warning is real. Conditions are setting up perfectly for the first major snowfall of the year. Snow and freezing rain expected to hit southern Vancouver Island in just a couple of hours before it makes its way east. Our Grace Key is live with more on preparations around the lower mainland. Grace. Yeah, we are just in front of the Vancouver Works Yard, and as you can imagine, this one behind me, as well as all the other ones across the region, have been busy today getting ready for that storm. In Vancouver, trucks have been brining and salting major roads, bus routes, bridges and streets around hospitals. Pedestrian pathways and bike routes are also getting treated. Working in the city's favour, the snow is expected to hit late evening, not during rush hour, and there's no rain. It's helpful that it's dry right now. If it's raining before a snow event, that can be particularly challenging because pretreatments tend to dilute and, and wash away. The main challenge we're seeing for tomorrow is it's a big accumulation forecast. So making sure that we're getting that snow off the road quickly is going to be our main focus. If you plan on taking the bus or SkyTrain, a winter plan is in action. That includes equipping buses with tire socks on steeper routes. A third of the bus fleet is testing out some new winter tires. On SkyTrain's, de-icer trains will keep the power rail free from ice buildup. They're doing everything in terms of preparing for what's to come, calling in extra staff, making sure that um, our trolley overheads have anti-icing solution running over them to make sure that our trolley buses can keep moving. Um, switching out the 40 foot, uh, switching out the 60 articulated buses for 40 foot ones where possible um, as they're a bit more agile and snowy and steep uh, hills. YVR invested $40 million to improve operations. Technology shows delays and problems in real time. There are 19 new pieces of snow clearing equipment, including two new high powered snow blowers. Crews can clear and de-ice a runway in 20 minutes and get to planes faster. The airport can also override airlines and tow planes in case airline teams can't get to work. Airports actually aren't responsible for towing aircraft. Airlines are. But they also get disrupted when their uh, teams can't get to work. So we have uh, built redundancy into our systems to allow for uh, us to contract uh, directly with crews to tow aircraft if the airline can't. Well, the snow hasn't started falling on YVR just yet, Grace, but we're already getting word of some cancelled flights for tomorrow. What are we hearing from mm -hmm. the airlines? 
Yeah, so we did hear from passengers about this. We did reach out to Air Canada. So a statement does read in part that flight cancellations are being proactively enacted for primarily regional and domestic flights along with some transporter flights. Now, this is in direct response to YVR and NAVCAN's departure management and central de-icing management programs, which have been put in place for safe operational reliability in snow and ice conditions. And this isn't just for Air Canada. So YVR also released a statement saying that um, confirming there will be fewer aircraft able to depart and arrive. So you're definitely going to want to check uh, your flights tomorrow. Sophie? All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting in Vancouver. It is an all-hands-on-deck scenario further out in the Fraser Valley, too. From Surrey to Hope and beyond, they're doing everything they can to keep the highways clear. Melissa Tebow has the details, including a call for a more regional approach to winter readiness. Alyssa. Well, Chris, it's been all about brining today. Trucks have been out in Surrey right through the Fraser Valley to prepare as many roads as possible. What could make things a little more complicated, though, for the Fraser Valley, freezing rain is in the forecast for some areas closer to the U.S. border. Now, we know this storm is coming, and officials are really hoping that we don't see a repeat of some of the chaos we've seen previously. It's a story we've seen before. Snowfall wreaking havoc on the roads east of Vancouver. Watch out! In Surrey, residents are bracing for a winter hit. Terrifying. Terrifying? Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't want to get an accident again. Everything is going to be stuck. <laughs> this is the main thing when we there is a snow, right? The city of Surrey says about 60 trucks have been out brining roads since 4 a.m. <laughs> When the snow starts, ploughs and salting trucks will get to work. You make our own brine. This winter storm is also forecast to bring freezing rain to parts of the Fraser Valley. Brining is key to mitigating the effects of it. When we know that the freezing rain is coming, that is our uh, uh, defensive mechanism per se. And on top of that, when we put the salt, it will stick to the ground and uh, that will be uh, uh, gives a good uh, traction on the road. The city stocks about 20,000 tonnes of salt for the winter. It's used about a third of that supply so far. On a 24-hour event, we use 1,000 uh, tonne of uh, salt. The city of Abbotsford says 17 trucks have been out pre-salting roads. And just like Surrey, to counter the impacts of freezing rain, crews will combine brine with salt and sand to help the ice melt faster. There are concerns about highways getting jammed. One new Westminster councillor says the province has a poor track record of keeping people moving. If we had a vote today and asked the public who were impacted, it'd be a resounding uh, thumbs down in terms of the response and, and how well uh, both the province and our region has been uh, coping with these snowstorms. Being there before the events occur, uh, that's a critical change we made as government. Despite the amount of preparation, many people are still convinced things will go sideways. I'm from Winnipeg. I know all about cold, snowy winter. Out here, they haven't got a clue. It's hard to argue that point. All right, Alyssa, um, bridges are particularly susceptible in these snowstorms. Any changes or things drivers need to be aware of there? 
Yeah, so winter operations are now in effect for the Portman Bridge behind me. That means that the HOV lane only just closed at 6pm, so drivers will need to be aware of that. Visibility could be an issue uh, through Highway 1 through the Fraser Valley. Blowing snow is in the forecast for tonight, and there could also be some transit delays for tomorrow morning. Chris. And watch out for those slush bombs on the Portman too. All right, thanks very much, Alyssa. And senior meteorologist Christy Gordon is closely tracking this snowstorm and joins us with more on what you need to know about the timeline. Christy? Thanks so much, Sophie. So Vancouver Island will start to see it about 8 o'clock, 9 or 10 o'clock for Metro Vancouver. But by midnight, we're expecting widespread snow across most regions, and we could see 5 to 10 centimeters of snow overnight. One thing I want to point out is the possibility of more so just rain for the Victoria region. And as we head into the day tomorrow, what it will be is the battle between that Pacific air moving in from the west and the mild or cold Arctic air shifting out from the east. So that battle really decides whether we'll see rain or snow. At this point, it looks like we're going to see significant snow, 5 to 10 centimeters, another 5 to 10 throughout the day. Meanwhile, by about noon, western sections may see a little bit of a milder flow and a transition to rain, but it may transition back to snow in the evening. Nonetheless, we are expecting widespread snow by the time it's all said and done. This amount, these amounts are certainly possible across the region. Sophie, back to you. All right, we'll touch base in a bit. Thanks, Christy. So it's about as close to a guaranteed snow event as you can get, and many families are already planning for possible disruptions tomorrow. But as Richard Zussman reports, despite the weather warnings, most school districts won't be making the snow day call until the morning. It's a winter scramble. Set the alarm, check the district website, find out if school is cancelled. So a snow day that comes out of nowhere can be a, a real uh, unpleasant surprise for parents who have to find a way to... Uh, to find some care for their kids. Each district will make its own decision on whether schools will be closed Wednesday. Notification will come out before or right at 6.30 Wednesday morning. We have staff that are actually driving around the district and taking a look at conditions. School districts factor in snow, freezing rain and extreme cold when making the closure decision. They also consider whether students and faculty can be safe coming to school. The other big challenge is around ensuring that those that are most vulnerable have somewhere to go. It is always a challenge, especially when we don't get the information until kind of that last minute. So the sooner I think um, our districts across, particularly the mainland and the island, can inform parents that school closures are going to be happening, probably the better. The province not looking at taking the power away from districts to make that determination. What the province is doing is looking at weather alert communication, which could be used to make earlier decisions on closing schools and childcare facilities. Can we make improvements to the way we talk about the alerting? I think we can. You know, we essentially have red and gray alerts on our website. Parents bracing for what the weather may bring. I mean, it's, it's something that you can't control. It's mother nature after all. Um, but from a, a child care perspective, uh, it's definitely throws a wrench in things. And while this weather carries with it great uncertainty for parents, it also could bring the two words many kids want to hear. Snow day. Go! Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
Well, this blast of winter has BCAA doing a brisk business. BCAA says after the temperatures plunged and the snow started to fall, calls were up 90% on Friday and 100% over the weekend. BCAA got more than 2,200 calls during the Friday commute alone. Most were for battery boosts and cars that wouldn't start because of the cold. Heavy snow is particularly difficult for the unhoused, especially in parts of the province not used to temperatures below zero. The challenge is making sure the homeless are aware of the coming storm and able to find shelter from the extreme conditions. Kylie Stanton reports. These are the mounts, yep. Every time the temperature dips below the freezing mark, there's capacity for 30. We provide one or two blankets for everyone, plus a pillow. But a week and a half into the operation, the demand only continues to grow. We're now at 41 people um, on our highest night. Last night was 40. Um, so we're seeing a number of individuals that are coming in to get out of the cold. Still, the Salvation Army here in downtown Victoria has yet to turn anyone away. People might be sitting at tables um, for the night or curled up in a corner. Even once the facility is full, staff are going as far as shuttling people coming in from the elements to a nearby warming centre set up by the city. We want to keep people alive. That's really what our role is. But no matter which door you open, it's the same story. So we have bunks here. We'll have uh, 20 additional mats up on our main floor as well. We're trying not to turn people away. In the case of the Union Gospel Mission in Vancouver, there's been little choice in the matter. We've had 77 turnaways in the month of January so far, and we're only halfway through. Obviously, this is concerning, given that the temperatures are continuing to dip. So this is a men's coat. The focus then turns to protecting people from the cold. And just making sure that no matter where they are in the city, that they're able to survive. According to BC Emergency Health Services, there have been a total of 87 weather-related emergency medical calls since the cold snap set in January 5th. 48 of those just in the last four days. You know, the risk of frostbite, there's the risk of hypothermia, pneumonia. The need is here and there's just not enough space. According to the B.C. government, there are more than 5,500 shelter spaces open across the province. A mix of extreme weather response, temporary and permanent overnight shelters. But with 8,665 people identified as experiencing homelessness at last count, it's going to take a whole lot more of these to close the gap. It's nowhere near what we need. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Another homeless camp fire to tell you about tonight. This one happened underneath Highway 1 at Boundary Road just before 5 o'clock. A passing driver spotted the flames and called 911. Vancouver fire crews arrived to find a tent on fire with three residents nearby. No injuries were reported. The cause is under investigation. A separate fire at a separate encampment just steps away. Destroyed a motorhome on Christmas Eve. A terrible crash southeast of Kamloops has claimed four lives. RCMP say two vehicles collided head-on at about 9 o'clock this morning on Highway 97, just north of the Monty Lake RV Park. Both drivers and two others died at the scene. A fifth person was airlifted to hospital in critical condition. Sean Tomlin lives nearby and was one of the first on the scene. Both vehicles, one in the ditch, one on the other side, kind of teetering on the side, both in complete destruction. 
Uh, I think the roof was actually off of one of the vehicles. This isn't just the occasional incident. These roads are dangerous. Yes, they really are. If you aren't careful driving out on this road stretch, you're going to get into problems. You always have to be aware. No word at this point what caused the crash. New developments in the coyote chaos that once gripped Vancouver. A woman has pleaded guilty to feeding animals in Stanley Park even after the coyotes had bitten several people. The bite of justice at sentencing next on the News Hour. A wild ride in a stolen taxi coming up later on the News Hour. And new details about the latest overpass strike and the trucking company that's going to pay for it. That's still to come tonight. Right now, though, two people charged with feeding wildlife in Vancouver Stanley Park at the same time as a series of coyote attacks were in court today for sentencing. The case highlights the risks of interacting with wildlife for the animals and for humans. Aaron MacArthur has the latest from Provincial Courts. Clem Thong Casby and Terence Lee Casby were charged in October 2021 under sections of the Wildlife Act for feeding dangerous animals in Stanley Park. Their charges came shortly after a September 2021 cull where conservation officers and Ministry of Forest personnel trapped and killed 11 aggressive coyotes in the park after 45 people reported being attacked. The couple in their 70s have never been in trouble with the law have never violated the Wildlife Act. They claim they often feed birds and small animals in order to relax. Their lawyer saying they had no idea of the danger it was posing to other park users. In a joint statement of facts, the pair left food in the park the same day the park's trails were reopened to the public. Crown was seeking a $10,000 penalty, a $1,000 fine, plus a $9,000 donation to the Habitat Conservation Trust Fund. Defense that's far too stiff a fine making scapegoats out of the couple. There is no evidence that their feeding led to any of the problems with the coyotes. The judge ruled, while there is no link between the Clasby's actions and the coyote attacks, Mrs. Clasby's actions were intentional and led to an unnecessary potential risk. A penalty of $3,500 will be paid, a $1,000 fine and $2,500 to the trust fund. The Conservation Officer Service says this is a rare case that took more than 100 hours of investigation time. I'm happy today for all the, uh, the field officer and our detective that work hard on this uh, file to um, prove evidence and bring this case to co in the court system. And uh, today it's, good, it's a good result and I hope it sends a strong message and make people understand that feeding dangerous wildlife, it's never a good idea. Kim Dong Clasby will have 12 months to pay her $3,500 fine. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke is addressing the backlash over her refusal to pay 10 new officers hired by Surrey Police Service. Keith Baldry joins us with more. And Keith, Mayor Locke basically blames the SPS for this. What's the Premier's take? Yeah, talk about a story that never seems to end, Chris. So today we had dueling news releases from Brenda Locke and the Surrey Police Union, and the Premier waded into this as well. First, we'll start with Brenda Locke's news release issued uh, this afternoon. She says the majority of Surrey City Council is very concerned with the SPS's free spending ways of taxpayer dollars. Bylaws, civic budgets cannot run a deficit and must be balanced. The continued spending of the SPS shows that they are either negligent of the law or believe that the law does not apply to them. No sooner had that release been released 
then this one came out from the Surrey Police Union, saying Mayor Locke's financial shell game aims to distract from the 10 police recruit officers that she refuses to pay. These officers all received job offers and quit prior employment well before the letter that she wrote, referring to a Locke letter, on December 19th, 2023. So there you have the dueling news releases. Premier David Eby up in Prince George at an event. This uh, subject came up. He points out that uh, he's criticizing Surrey City Council for spending tax dollars on an ad campaign and court challenges, and also points out the province has given Surrey a significant amount of money to deal with other issues. Here's the Premier. Uh, having the mayor pay consultants, high-priced high consultants, having her pay advertising firms for leaflets and advertisements, having her pay lawyers uh, to bring a court challenge against the province, but not paying the police. Uh, I, I cannot see any justification for it. There is $90 million that the province sent to Surrey to improve the community, recreation centers, parks. That money sits in a bank account. There is $50 million that is uh, waiting uh, for uh, the city of Surrey for any additional expenses that they have uh, that they're facing in relation, relation to the policing transition. So one final thing, I got a copy here of a letter the Surrey Police Board sent to Brenda Locke and Surrey City Council back in September saying they were putting out false information when it came to the finances and budgets of Surrey Police Services. So the saga continues. Look for the province to have a more, I think, detailed response fairly soon about how Surrey Police Services can continue to hire officers and they will be paid. And the province has sort of the hammer here. The, the Director of Police Services has the final say in this. He has statutory authority over Surrey, Surrey City Council when it comes to setting Surrey Police Services its budget but the drama continues it sure does okay keith thanks very much all right coming up punishment for a predatory officer sentencing for rcmp member peter lecky who used his position of trust to seduce vulnerable women also tonight the massive overtime bill as vancouver police investigate more hate crimes and manage large protests a Surrey Mountie who pleaded guilty to three counts of breach of trust won't serve any jail time after using his position of authority to pursue sex trade workers. As Kristen Robinson reports, instead, Peter Leckie has been handed an 18-month conditional sentence and is facing more discipline. Peter Leckie will avoid traditional jail time. B.C. Provincial Court Judge Grace O. imposing an 18-month conditional sentence followed by one year of probation. The Surrey Mountie will be under house arrest and electronic monitoring for the first six months. The resolution reflects his acknowledgement of his actions. The fact that he's serving his sentence in the community reflects the fact that has always been known to him and was endorsed by this court today that he is not a threat to public safety. Leckie pleaded guilty to three counts of breach of trust for engaging in a sexual relationship with a 19-year-old he met while on duty using police-based information systems to conduct unauthorized queries on four people and unauthorized use of police databases related to a sexual relationship he maintained with another woman who'd been the subject of an RCMP well-being check. I no longer have respect for the police after being victimized by Mr. Lucky. The reality is that for over half of his RCMP career, said the judge, he was simultaneously, repeatedly breaching public trust and hiding a very different aspect of himself that he did not demonstrate to most people. No comment. The judge found the privacy and security breaches significant, saying Leckie knew the 19-year-old victim was a vulnerable sex worker suffering because of her father's murder, a sexual assault, and repeated mental health interventions. 
When you came into my life, I was a lost and broken 19-year-old who was facing tremendous obstacles in her life. I feel you're a predator, and she was your prey. As a parent, I'm sick to my stomach that an RCMP officer did this to my child. Mr. Leckie's offending was not a matter of a momentary lapse, said the judge. He undertook a prolonged, repetitive series of decisions and actions. Over the course of seven years, he maintained two relationships and made approximately 100 inquiries into police databases, which he knew were not for legitimate law enforcement or duty-related purposes. Leckie previously apologized to the court, and the judge considered his expressions of remorse and guilty plea mitigating factors. Corporal Leckie, will you be resigning from the RCMP? That question remains unanswered. Although suspended without pay, Leckie is still a member of the RCMP. He will face internal discipline, including possible dismissal from the force at a code of conduct board in June. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A 34-year-old man has been found guilty in a Burnaby hit and run almost five years ago that left two police officers with life-altering injuries. It happened in March of 2019. An RCMP officer and an Abbotsford police officer working with the Lower Mainland Integrated Police Dog Service were struck on North Fraser Way by a stolen white Toyota Camry that sped away. Jason Kirapakaran has now been convicted of two counts each of criminal negligence causing bodily harm and failing to stop. The RCMP say the two officers continue to recover from their injuries. Vancouver police say tensions fueled by the Israel-Hamas war contributed to a spike in hate crimes and large-scale protests in 2023. As Ramina Dea reports, the force says it's costing millions. Thousands of kilometers from the war zone in the Middle East. The Israel-Hamas war is fueling an increase in hate crimes in Vancouver. Two women walking away from a pro-Israel rally on October 9th were accosted by teenage boys who threatened to rape and slice their faces. A rise in anti-Semitism, but Vancouver police are also investigating hateful acts against Muslims and West Asians. These events include incidents of graffiti and hateful commentary written across the wall of the community, community centre saying all Muslims should die. Graffiti on public washroom doors saying I'm going to burn every Palestinian alive. The VPD says it investigated 265 reports of hate crimes in 2023 across all communities, a 31% jump from the previous year. There were more than 1,000 protests last year, equating to more than $4 million in overtime costs for Vancouver officers, $2.5 million since October 7th alone, when Hamas launched a surprise attack in Israel. It's unanticipated. This war happened. It continues. So where does that money get pulled from? The money will uh, eventually get pulled from our larger general budget that our executive will have to uh, approach the city and uh, the city manager and they'll have to try to resolve where they can to find the future funding if this continues at this pace. Vancouver police have not asked the city for more money yet. The city did not respond to our questions by deadline. The Israel-Hamas war now in its third month. The conflict tied to 50 criminal investigations in Vancouver. Police have recommended charges in 17 cases. Nine people have been charged as young as 15 years old. Hate crimes underreported by certain communities. Police urging victims to come forward, saying they can't investigate if they don't know. Romina Dea, Global News.
Vancouver police are investigating after a yellow cab was stolen and involved in a number of hit and runs this morning. Police say the first hit and run happened around 7.30 a.m. at Broadway and Kingsway. The driver then made it to Fraser and 37th where a pedestrian was struck. Their condition is not known at this time. VPD officers were able to stop the taxi at Main Street and Marine Drive. One police officer was hurt and was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Another B.C. trucking company has had its fleet of 20 vehicles pulled off the road after an overheight load hit an overpass during the Monday afternoon commute. At around 4 o'clock, a helicopter fuselage on the back of an eastbound truck hit the Gilmore overpass on Highway 1. Fortunately, only a sign was damaged and the impact on rush hour traffic was minimal. The Transportation Ministry says while the driver did have an oversized permit, the load was actually higher than stated on the document. Abbotsford-based International Machine Transport will be under suspension until the investigation is complete. Coming up, creating jobs and cutting emissions. Today is yet another demonstration that resource workers in our province are on the front lines of fighting climate change. A big announcement to produce hydrogen in Prince George with the province as a major partner. And is it the last gasp for big tobacco? Usage trends around the globe coming up. The province is announcing new plans for a hydrogen project in Prince George that will help cut harmful carbon emissions and hopefully deliver cleaner air. The project by Chilliwack-based Teralta Hydrogen Solutions will help fuel the nearby Canfor pulp mill by using a clean hydrogen system. The system will collect byproduct hydrogen from Chemtrade sodium chlorate production facility, purifying and compressing it for use at the mill. This project will reduce 25% of the natural gas used by the pulp mill, uh, reducing carbon emissions, and, uh, and creating an opportunity out of a, a waste product uh, that was uh, previously just being vented. Clean hydrogen uh, opens a world of opportunities for our province that we're not taking advantage of yet and are right there for us. It may be the first project of its kind, uh, but it certainly won't be the last. Last year, the province provided $150,000 to the city of Prince George to help kickstart the development of a regional hydrogen hub. A Dutch company has won the contract to build four new vessels for BC ferries. The hybrid electric island class ferries are expected to be ready for service by 2027. The boats will operate on the Nanaimo-Gabriola route and between Campbell River and Quadra Island. Daman Shipyards has already built six island class vessels for the ferry corp. The newest ones will be built in Romania. No Canadian company submitted a bid. The new ships will carry at least 47 vehicles and up to 390 passengers and crew. Well, cigarette smoking is decreasing around the globe, according to the World Health Organization. The trend is encouraging, but as Catherine Ward reports, it's still an uphill battle to prevent people from picking up the habit in the first place. The global push to get people around the world to butt out is seeing positive results. Data from the WHO shows one in five adults worldwide were consuming tobacco in 2022 compared to one in three in the year 2000. 150 countries are successfully reducing tobacco use. Rob Cunningham with the Canadian Cancer Society says there has been notable success here at home. It's been a comprehensive strategy of higher tobacco taxes, 
increased regulation and programming that has made a difference uh, to see these declines in smoking in Canada. Health Canada has a goal of under 5% tobacco use by the year 2035. In Canada, we still have 12% of the population who smokes, 3.8 million Canadians. The World Health Organization classifies tobacco a major, potentially avoidable threat to public health around the world, saying it impacts not only those who directly use tobacco, but also people who choose not to. Dr. Christian Finley says the risks of secondhand smoke should be motivation for those looking to quit. The fact that it's the tragedy when someone whose parents smoked or their, their spouse smoked coming into my clinic to see me with lung cancer is even more poignant. Cunningham notes there remains significant pushback to progress cutting tobacco use. The tobacco industry, whether it's in Canada or internationally, is there to oppose these measures. They want to protect their sales and their profits, and they have lobbyists, uh, but still, we need to counter that. Catherine Ward, Global News. Still ahead, celebrating Canadian soldier Charlie Lee. Happy birthday to you. He turns 100, sharing memories of his secret mission during World War II. And coming up in sports, the Whitecaps signed some experience, hoping their new midfielder can regain his scoring touch. Well, it's all hands on deck in the lower mainland and beyond with a snowstorm approaching, including here in the newsroom. And I don't want to say you're excited about it, but telling the story of this is kind of your element, Christy. I have to say, I do love it, that's for sure. But I love it mostly, Chris, when I get it right. And let's hope that we do, right? Um, so we have widespread snowfall warnings in place. So these are the amounts that we could see. Uh, the 25 centimeters is definitely on the upper end. It's for some key sort of pockets of Surrey, for example, and uh, higher elevations out through the Fraser Valley. Um, five to 10 of it will be overnight. And then we have the n another potentially five to 10 throughout the day tomorrow. But as we talked about, it's not just the south coast. It's widespread across southern BC. In fact, we have winter storm warnings for the Fraser Valley. And that means we're expecting windy conditions so we're talking about heavy snow and wind, whiteout conditions on the roads. And don't forget, we even have a risk of freezing rain. So here's the timeline once again, shifting in all of southern BC, impacted by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. As we head towards the afternoon hours, it eases across Vancouver Island. However, in the afternoon, we're still expecting some snow for Metro Vancouver, although there may be a transition to wet snow at, at times. But there's the snowfall beginning to shift east. And it does ease, ease off Wednesday night, but I want you to note, by Thursday, we have the potential for more snow, so we're not out of the woods just yet. Tune in tomorrow for more about your Thursday. In the meantime, these are the mounts that we could see. Yes, widespread and highly variable. Areas sort of north of Quinell, though, tomorrow we're expecting sunshine. For Prince George, Quinell, the bulk of your snowfall will be overnight. Williams Lake South, that's where we'll see heavy snow, and again, windy conditions as well. For the South Coast area, we're expecting snowfall, especially across Metro Vancouver region, where we're talking about two centimeters right near the water to potentially 25 centimeters. I wouldn't rule that out. And again, the potential is there for more snow on Thursday. We'll have more details about that. I'm really urging everyone just to avoid the roads tomorrow, that's for sure. All right, tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Mission. Evan Beer sharing this with us. I don't know how he got up, up above, but that's a gorgeous shot of showing the ice and that gorgeous sunset that we had last night. That it is, is beautiful. beautiful. Wow. Thank you, Christy. All right, uh, Squire is here now. I've heard this once. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. But I don't know how that affects soccer. What show is that? Was that uh, My Fair Lady? <laughs> my Fair Lady, I believe. My Fair Lady. Fair Lady. Yeah. 
based on Pygmalion or something like exactly. that? Exactly. There you go. Uh, well, just like last year, the Whitecaps have gone to Spain to train, which, judging by the weather we just heard, is a good thing. And one of their new signings is there, Dimer Krylock. From the first day we were talking, you know, I saw, okay, this is maybe where, uh, you know, I'm going to feel so comfortable. Yeah, Krylock is an MLS veteran, which means he just has to assimilate onto the Whitecaps and not also assimilate into the league. Also tonight, from Vancouver to the jungles of Burma and back again, the amazing life of World War II veteran Charlie Lee. Whitecaps working on a game that draws a big crowd this season. Well, they'll have more seats to sell. Well, one game you know will sell out. Mm -hmm. One game for sure will sell out. And it really has nothing to do with the Whitecaps, I hate to say. But anyway, they've announced, the Whitecaps that is, that they will open the upper deck of BC Play Stadium for four of their home games this year. Of course, the biggest one of all will be the one against Miami. That one is on uh, May 25th with uh, Lionel Messi as well as some of his friends like Luis Suarez and uh, Jordi Alba. The other games that allow more seats is the home opener against Charlotte on March 2nd. The 50th anniversary, this is the 50th anniversary of the Whitecaps, on May the 4th. So it's kind of a Star Wars Whitecaps thing. And then, of course, the uh, playoff rematch against LAFC, and perhaps Vanny can get himself kicked out of that game as well, just for old time's sake, you know. The uh, Whitecaps, of course, have not made any big splash off-season signings. Instead, they have found players who have Major League Soccer experience, kind of a go-with-who-you-know approach. Uh, midfielder uh, Dahmer Krylik is one of those signings. Now, he's 34 years old. He is a couple of years removed from a 16-goal season with Real Salt Lake, so obviously Vancouver is hoping for a bit of a revival here. Well, the shot eventually arriving from... Shots! Unbelievable! This was the type of quality Demir Krylak was displaying three seasons ago when he led Real Salt Lake in scoring with 16 goals. He was an MLS All-Star that year and the club's MVP and leading scorer for the third time in his career. So you can see why the Whitecaps came calling when Krylak hit the free agent market. Speaking with uh, the coach, speaking with uh, Axel, uh, you know, from the first day we were talking, you know, I saw, okay, this is maybe where, uh, you know, I'm going to feel so comfortable, you know, to help the team off and on the field, you know, to take this responsibility. And uh, basically, I just wanted to have, like, you know, uh, competition that uh, I still can compete to help the team. And at the end of the day, this is coach's decision who is going to play, who is not. And that option by the Caps is really the only one offered. Krylak believes he still has some good soccer left in a body, but has some mileage on it and has broken down of late. Back surgery wiped out most of his 2022 season, while last year a hamstring injury limited him to just 31 games in all competitions. Come April, he turns 35, but the Whitecaps believe signing Krylak, who wore the captain's armband the last two years in Real Salt Lake, is worth the gamble even though he's only scored five goals the last two seasons. Yeah, you know, still hungry. And because of that, uh, you know, I appreciate, you know, the chance the Vancouver gave me, you know, uh, to be here uh, for next two years. And, uh, of course, I'm still hungry for training for, uh, you know, games. And, uh, you know, my goal is, uh, of course, to, to help the, the, the players and, uh, you know, the, the people in the club off and on the field. At the end of the day, you know, like uh, when you're asking for the coach to play any position you're going to play, just, you know, uh, you know, you like to help the team, you, you like to be on the field, and that's the role that uh, basically I would like to, 
to, to have. And basically, it's all about training sessions to prove yourself in a training. And then, as I said, as I mentioned before, it's up to the coach, you know, to, to pick the guys who is going to play, who is not. Okay, so hopefully that come down in goals will change with the Whitecaps this year. Uh, Seattle Seahawks general manager John Schneider has begun the search for a new head coach. The interviews with coaching candidates will start this week. Most are currently assistants in the NFL. One Dallas assistant, Dan Quinn, who used to work for Seattle in their glory days, is a top candidate right now. But Schneider says a lot of the people that the Seahawks are actually interested in called Seattle first. It's just really been amazing, like the the calls and the notes and everything you get. It's it's uh, it's really a uh, I don't want to say a confidence booster, but I think it's a great uh, reputation for this organization and like a really cool uh, feeling throughout the National Football League of what people think of this organization on the outside. I think people recognize it's a very intriguing job and one that can you can come in and and uh, you know have a have a great partnership with everybody here. And, uh, and get rolling. I think people recognize that. All right. Vancouver's Rebecca Marino, first round at the Australian Open. She uh, faced American Jessica Pagula, whose parents own the Buffalo Bills and the Buffalo Sabres. So I bet you she had really good tennis lessons when she was a kid. Anyway, she won the first at 6-2. This is a good point for Marino. Well, that was a good point for Marino you just saw, but uh, she lost the first set 6-2, as we said. And this is the end of it, so Rebecca is out in round one at the Aussie Open. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. He survived a secret mission, loyal to Canada when it wasn't always loyal to him. The Amazing Life of Canadian Vet Charlie Lee, next. Jordan Armstrong is in the newsroom now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Sophie, we will have live coverage tonight as the storm moves in, of course, at 11 o'clock, but also on BC1 at 8 and, if necessary, 10 o'clock as well. Plus, Vancouver police are in the midst of a hiring campaign, and now they've added another reason to join their ranks, a $10,000 incentive to 20 experienced officers. Why the department feels it's a necessary offer on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. Well, one of, the BC, uh, one of BC's World War II heroes recently celebrated his 100th birthday, sharing stories of his life and secret mission during wartime. Charlie Lee is one of the few remaining veterans from an elite Chinese-Canadian group called Force 136. Jada Rant shows us more, including Lee's secret to living a happy life. Happy birthday to Celebrating 100 years, Charlie Lee is sharing his secrets to a long life. I don't like uh, to drink uh, milk. I like to drink uh, wine. <laughs> the Lees were one of many families impacted by the Exclusion Act of 1923 that banned almost all Chinese immigration to Canada. But Charlie still served his country in the Second World War, signing up for an elite group known as Force 136 that specialized in espionage and sabotage. The plan was to train these men uh, basically in jungle warfare, and the key word is secrets. They were parachuted uh, into the jungle of, of Burma, uh, and the reason was is that the Japanese, of course, were there. I spent uh, days in the the jungles, I was fine for the British. 
This patriotism helped propel a movement after the war to repeal the Exclusion Act. And in 1947, Chinese Canadians won the right to vote. They were proud of where they were living. They were from Vancouver, all of them. So serving uh, in our army and serving for our country uh, meant everything to them. Charlie has been instrumental in revitalizing the Remembrance Day ceremony in Vancouver. You mean I have to sit with that good-looking guy? Mobility has kept him from attending the last several years, but it didn't stop him from having a couple of birthday parties. Celebrating a century and offering wisdom for a happy life. Keep your nose clean and try to mind your own business, you know, and then you'll be okay. Jay Durant, Global News. <laughs> and wine before milk, apparently. <laughs> if you know someone who has a great story to tell or advice like Charlie's, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Keep your nose clean, Charlie. Great advice. Keep your sidewalks clean tomorrow morning if you can. There's some big snowfall coming, Christy. Yeah, so it will begin overnight, 5 to 10 centimeters as possible, with another 5 to 10 possible during the day tomorrow. But there is the possibility of a transition to wet snow in some areas, highly variable. But overall, I'm really urging everyone to just stay home tomorrow. Okay, I'm doing it then. Don't. It's not an <laughs> option for us. We're an essential service, remember? We'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> we will. Thanks for watching, everyone. Be safe out there. Good night, all.